Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? I feel like I should just get straight to it, right? It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat because, because Carrie Combs has come home to carry the torch of all the West Side. He is the West Side pride. Here we come, baby. Carrie Combs, let's go! I can't breathe. You can't. You cannot do that. You can't. <laughs> uh, Hubbard, indeed, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. We are also joined, and look, this is a bit strategic on our part. When we saw Bearcat Journal level up and sign Mo Egger as a senior contributor to their website, we had no choice but to counter. We had to go find our own elite talent to add to the podcast, to add to the network of, of Cincy Slang and website contributors. Go check it out, cincyslang.com. And so we are happy and proud to announce that Joe Barnett, the councilman, is officially a contributor for the Cincy Slang and website and podcast. Joe, welcome to the podcast again, buddy. Finally, the councilman has come back to the Cincy <laughs> Slang and podcast. As vice president of the Slang and Network, I instantly promote you to senior contributor. Oh, thank you. This is a great honor. And Hummer, thank you so much. After spending some time in Dallas with you boys, nothing feels better. Nothing makes my heart warmer than uh, being happy to accept that role in the Cincy Slang and Network. In all seriousness, I mean, we, we are making comparisons here to uh, for you and Mo Egger. So there's a lot of pressure, Joe. But for anybody who is familiar with Joe and his work, he has been blogging here for a few years, it seems like, on the Republic of Cincinnati website. Please, everybody, rest assured, we did talk to Mike at the Republic of Cincinnati, and we came to an, a mutual agreement that this would be a great opportunity uh, for our website to continue to get replenished with more content and more interesting writing, and Joe will certainly be able to do that. Um, and you know, we're obviously going to continue to plug the Republic of Cincinnati because we are huge fans of that tailgate. They have been, uh, and Mike has been extremely welcoming for us, and obviously made our t-shirts and hats and hoodies available on his website at 513shirts.com. So plenty of love there. And Joe, we are, we are thrilled to have you contributing to the website and podcast and, uh, and seeing where that goes. You, you do a lot of great, great work, particularly in the, on the football front. Thank you very much. Football is definitely my number one passion. Uh, glad the Bearcats basketball team is starting to, to trend in the right direction, but we're here to talk about the greatest team right now in the city of Cincinnati, the Bearcats football team. That's a controversial statement given what's happening down at Paul Brown stadium, Joe Burrow, but I can't, you can't dispute the fact that, uh, I mean, the, the Bengals are going to have to make the final four first before we crown their asses, right? They got to take it, take it up a notch and match what Luke Fickle and company have done this past season. Um, we are going to be talking about the football team. This is a, an off-season primer of sorts 
for where we are as a football team, coaching staff departures, coaching staff hirings, player departures, who's coming in to replace you know, key contributors on a team that went undefeated during the regular season and then lost in a, in a tough Cotton Bowl matchup against Alabama. So lots to talk about, lots to discuss. But before we do that, gentlemen, I would be remiss if I failed to mention that this week we have a new sponsor. Homefield Apparel is sponsoring the podcast, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis. Look, let's face it. They're known for making extremely comfortable, officially licensed apparel, but most importantly, their designs are unparalleled. And I want to chat with you guys about that. Um, Joe, we actually gave you a little bit of a sneak peek, given that you are officially on the Cincy Slang and team, gave you a peek at that, that collection. What are your initial thoughts here, buddy? When I first saw the the proofs of the different uh, things that they're going to release on big new Catterday this Saturday, the 22nd, I was blown away. Uh, just all kinds of designs from the UC catalog that you don't see out there. Uh, focusing on some different sports that you don't see. I mean, they're they're awesome. And I'm very, very hopeful that when I come home from work one day, there may be a package from Homefield waiting for me in my mailbox. I hope you treat it like I do. I'm kind of going to let it sit there and marinate in my, you know, I, probably, I might bring it up in the office, let, let it stay in its package and then open it at noon on January 22nd, which is when Homefield will be launching the Cincy Collection. Cincinnati's kicking off their big new Saturday season three. It's a series of eight consecutive weeks where Homefield's going to be launching a new school every single week. Cincinnati is week number one. So January 22nd, make sure you're checking in at homefield.com, uh, homefieldapparel.com, where you can take a look at their you know past t-shirt hoodie options. But come January 22nd, you're going to be able to see that Cincy, that Cincinnati collection. Um, and then most importantly, if you are a new customer at Homefield and you're making your first purchase and you're buying a boatload of Cincinnati shirts, use the code CincySlangin at checkout to get an additional 15% off of your order. 15%, you say? 15%. And trust me, you're going to want to buy multiple shirts. I'm I'm already kicking myself for not negotiating more shirts in this deal with Homefield. It's honestly, the collection is absolute heat. Uh, drip, whatever the people are calling it these days, I am I am ecstatic to have an opportunity to um, represent this company this week, but also go out and make a couple purchases myself because the t-shirts really are are fantastic. That's it, folks. Go check it out Saturday, January twenty second. Cincy Slang in a checkout to get that fifteen percent off. Gentlemen, it's time to get into the football off season. With that. I figured the best place to start would be with our coaching staff departures for anybody who has been living in a bunker the past two plus years, hiding from COVID afraid of the world. Maybe you missed the historic Bearcat season. Everyone knows by now Bearcats went 13 and one best football season in the history of the university of Cincinnati. And it came because of obviously Luke fickle's tremendous leadership a coaching staff that did a hell of a job, but a roster that featured a lot of immensely talented returning talent. Um, I love the redundancy there. You had you had guys like Des Ritter, Sauce Gardner, all Americans across the board, guys who are going to be considered in the NFL draft. 
And so there are obviously going to be a lot of questions for what comes this next season as Luke Fickle enters season six with the Cincinnati Bearcats. So let's get started here with our coaching staff changes. I think we need to start with our offensive coordinator opening. Mike Dembrock, it, it was rumored just before the Cotton Bowl that he would be joining forces with Brian Kelly, reuniting with Brian Kelly down in Baton Rouge, taking an offensive coordinator role with LSU. And it was largely assumed that the position with UC would be filled by Gino Gadouli, former Bearcat quarterback legend, a guy who is also the passing game coordinator for the past season. He's been working with quarterbacks for multiple years now. He has, in fact, accepted the role as the offensive coordinator this coming season. And Mike Brown will be taking his place as the passing game coordinator. So I ask you, Joe, your initial reactions to this change and what it could mean for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. Well, I will tell you, I was a hell of a lot more excited before the news dropped earlier today that Gino Gadouli was calling plays all season. Um, <laughs> so all the people that were ragging on Denbrock uh, all season long and then the Cotton Bowl have to eat a little bit of crow there. Um, but that, was, what that I, was a bit awkward. Like we probably should talk about that a bit. That's going to be built into our, our expectations here. But I feel like everybody almost unanimously said Mike Dembrock is a really good tight ends coach. He's obviously really good at developing players. We just don't like his play calling. Well, this news about Gino Gadouli calling plays throughout the 2021 season does make this transition a bit more awkward. Just a little bit, a little more awkward. Yeah, I think that is a bit of a shocker to most people. I hadn't heard that at all. Uh, through last season, but the the positive part of that is is that Gina was calling plays in Mike Denbrock's offense. So now Gino Gadouli can make his own offense. He's going to have uh, some options at quarterback. He's going to have some new players. Maybe the offense changes a lot, and you know he may not be hamstrung by Denbrock's offense potentially. Um, that's to be seen, but, you know, Gadouli was the passing game coordinator this past year too. So I assume he had a hand in developing some of those passing concepts we saw this season. Hummer, how are you feeling about Denbrock's departure? You had some, some animated words for him after that cotton bowl. I think we attributed the conservative approach largely to Mike Denbrock in that game. I still probably think it's fair to say that our offensive philosophy Throughout the season and in that Cotton Bowl matchup against Alabama, you could attribute to Denbrock. Now, it was a productive offense. It scored a lot of points. We saw players get better every single season under his tutelage. Yet, I feel like I feel like you and many other Bearcat fans are left wanting when it comes to what Mike Denbrock was doing here. I feel like you loaded the question up there for me, and, and I don't appreciate that at all. Uh when it comes to Mike Denbrock, when you're the offensive coordinator, I think the game plan still by and large lives or dies by you. At the end of the day, the buck stops with you on offense. So whether Gina Godouli was calling just the pass plays, because we've, we've heard reports that, you know, that I think it was just, as you mentioned, just the pass plays. Uh, at the end of the day, that, that strategy is coming straight from the top in Mike Denbrock. I'm still happy that Mike Denbrock got called down to Baton Rouge uh, I'm glad to see that he is is off the staff, and I'm glad to see that Gino Godoy is going to get elevated. 
I think maybe there were some lessons to be learned in this, in this bowl game against Alabama. And maybe one of them was to be more aggressive in the play calling. Uh, and so hopefully that's a lesson that, that he takes to heart and look, people have pointed this out. I think what Ritter took, what six sacks was hurried like eight times. There really was not a lot of time. He had three, you know, two, three, four passes batted down at the line of scrimmage, but we just weren't getting it done on, on the, on the front offensive line front. So, you know, maybe it comes with a new offensive line coach. We're going to see a bunch of different things that, that they can build upon that we can be more aggressive because at the end of the day, like, you know, he's still the quarterback's coach and we're going to have a heck of a battle there, you know, for what's going to be coming up. But look, Denbrock, I'm not sad that he's leaving. I don't think, I still think at the end of the day, the buck stops with him. And that's, that's where I rest the blame on that conservative approach. I think overall Denbrock over the last several seasons did a good job expanding the capabilities of this offense. You can't deny the fact that we were more explosive in 2021 than we were in 2020 versus 2020 versus 2019. Like every single year we have seen progressions in terms of what we can do as an offense and what we can bring to the table. You look at that Houston conference championship game, time of possession was extremely low and Houston was dominating the ball. Yet we still smoked them off the field based on having the ability to make explosive plays in the passing game and the running game. So there's clearly positive things to take away from Denbrock's time here. I do think that there's, I would like more clarity on the play calling situation because it seems odd that we have, would have no idea that Gino Gadulli may have in fact been calling all of the plays or part of the plays. And I would just speculate that if he was calling and sharing play calling duties with Mike Denbrock, that could be a reason why things appeared so choppy at times. There could, I don't, I don't feel like philosophically it makes a lot of sense to have multiple chefs in the kitchen calling plays. Like there's, you know, I would rather have one person at the helm responsible for it. Sure. Pick the brain of your, of your passing game coordinator, pick the brain of your head coach, run some things by them, have developed that game plan for the week with your entire coaching staff. Um, but that, that seems funky to have Gino Gadulli calling passing plays, you know, like the sticks being passed when you get to second and long, or when you get to third and long, like, Love I just it. don't, I don't understand any of that. So I'm excited about the Gino Gadulli era. I feel like we've already seen comments from players like Darius Harper, former Bearcat football players who, who see this as a long time coming, something that was overdue and happening. There's a lot of excitement about Gino's ability to develop players, it's which he's start. done with players like Des Ritter. And he's obviously been working with Evan Prater here these past couple of years. So I think there's a lot to be excited about. It's a bit of an unknown commodity, but it did take a little bit of the shine off it if Gino has in fact been, you know, calling the plays during during 2021 because I feel like that is the one hangup we had about the offense was the inconsistency in play calling. Now before you continue, I'm going to make an announcement here. I'm taking this live to Facebook. Okay, Joe, any any final thoughts on the? on the offensive coordinator position, what to expect from Gino, what to maybe, what are you worried about with, with losing Denbrock? I'm not really worried about anything with losing Denbrock, except for that family feel that he had. <laughs> but I mean, listen, Gino's has been an up and comer for a long time. He was supposed to be the offensive coordinator at central Michigan before he came here as a running, running backs coach for a year. So he, this has been a long time coming and it's, you know, he's due to get a shot 
So I'm excited to see what kind of things he'll do, what will change. Maybe the play calling will get a little more, a um, little more daring, a little more exciting, especially uh, without, you know, as it stands right now, we don't have that stud running back um, that we've had the past few years, at least not at this moment. So I think it's going to be a good thing. Obviously, Denbrock was kind of a sore spot for a lot of people, um, even though I think he did a, a pretty good job. I think we could do better. So here's to Gino, and we'll uh, we'll keep moving along. I think half of the, the other issue with Denbrock, you're, you're right. He didn't really do that bad of a job. Our offense was still, what, in the top 20 last year? Uh, it's He was just kind of a polarizing figure to me. It's just my feelings because knowing that he did make multiple attempts to leave the university – over the last three years, we know that he applied and, or, you know, interviewed for a Vanderbilt job. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, it's got a sense that he wasn't committed to being here, which is kind of what does have me a little bit excited about the future of the coaching staff, the way it's shaping up. Cause when you do have a guy like Gino Gadulli, who, you know, he's, he's on, he's going to be on a ring of honor. If he's not, he should be right. And he's, 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 blah. He played here. He was a legend here. He's coaching here. He's lived here. He's from here. He's a Cincinnatian. It's, he's a guy that, it, to me, doesn't strike me as someone who's just, I'm going to take the next job. It's like, I want to grow here. And so maybe it gives us a little more stability on that front. And he's proven that he can recruit. He's proven that he can coach quarterbacks. He took, he took Des Ritter from where he was, you know, as a, what, an unranked recruit. We're getting zero offers from any big-time big schools to – potentially being a, a first round, second round NFL draft pick. Like the guy is my mind has proven himself. I'm, I think he's more than capable of taking the reins here. And I'm glad to see that he is a Cincinnati guy. That's going to provide us some stability. You know, it's, it's on the other front. Why I am excited about Kerry Combs coming too. if this is his last stop on the train. Cause he's a, he's a Cincinnati guy. Doesn't want to leave the radius of the 200 miles of this area. Great. You know, provide some stability at the cornerback cornerback position. Get some great recruiting in here. Let's get some studs for Luke Fickle to go and run this thing back. That was a nice attempt at a transition by you. I'm going to. Ruin I wasn't it. trying to transition. I'm I was going to ruin it. No, no. Players. It's it was a good. It was a, it was an excellent sequitur to our next topic about our special teams coordinator. The last thing I wanted to mention, just to echo your point here, if things go very well with Gino Gadulli, if he does take over the reins and and prove himself, continue to prove himself as a high-level offensive mind with creative concepts and the ability to develop talent here at UC and the talent pipeline gets stronger and stronger and stronger, he'd be a hell of a candidate to take over for Luke Fickle if that, ever, if that time ever comes. If he ever gets tempted to join Mike Vrabel in the, in the professional ranks, um, that would be a nice, natural transition for the Bearcats. Is Gino ready for that? No, but this is the first opportunity, in my opinion, where he has a role now where he can actually prove himself and make himself a, a legitimate candidate for future head, co head coaching opportunities, which would include uh, our very own alma mater here. That's a hell of a point. With that said, let's talk about, um, unfortunately, this didn't go live for the introduction, but Hummer, in my opinion, had one of the best, if not the best introduction this podcast has ever seen uh, to start. I think I listen to the pod. I think I go back and re-listen. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and give us the download. <laughs> Click on the link just to hear Armour's introduction. But Brian Mason took a special teams coordinator job at Notre Dame, the same position he held at UC. So that position then opened up. He was also the sniper coach 
for the Bearcats as well. Kerry Combs has been hired as cornerbacks coach, but also special teams coordinator. He previously was at Ohio State, at one point was serving as their defensive coordinator, lost that job during the season. I think he then became more or less the defensive backs coach. He's a prolific recruiter. He previously coached at UC. Everybody knows about his connections in the Cincinnati community, particularly in the West Side. Joe, how are you feeling about West Side Jesus making his return to Cincinnati? I am just so glad that his return isn't as a head coach as many Westsiders clamor for as they drink their lukewarm natural lights at Maury's Tiny Cove in Chevois. I think <laughs> special teams coordinator is a great landing spot for Kerry. Uh, adding cornerbacks to his uh, repertoire, I think, is good. I know you hear a lot of criticisms Um from the way that some of the guys play up at Ohio State, but fact, like face the facts, like how many Ohio State cornerbacks are in the NFL, and how many of them were recruited by and played for Kerry Combs? I mean, it's it's I think it's six or seven right now in the NFL that played for Kerry. Uh, he has special teams experience. He was a special teams coach here when when he was here with our dear friend Brian Kelly and his family. He served special teams at Ohio State as well. So he's got experience there. He's a hell of a motivator. He he could get you to run through a brick wall butt-ass naked. I mean, I think it's a great thing to have him in this role. I'm just when so... You're 12, when you're 12 warm, warm natural lights deep, I mean, you'll do just about anything for anybody. This is true. This is true. And, and especially for Kerry Combs, the the key leader of a Colerain Cardinals team in the mid two thousands. A team that, you know, my alma mater had quite a few run-ins with uh, St. X Colerain, some epic battles back in the day. I feel like one of those schools has continued to trend upward under Steve Specht. The other has kind of gone in the opposite direction. I'm look, I don't necessarily have, I, I think I missed the entire internet in craze about West Side Jesus and how important he was to this program and bringing him back as a head coach, that kind of missed me. I had I had a, I have a dark ages or a middle ages when it comes to my online social media present presence, and I just I must have missed that entire thing. I just look at it like this guy went to Ohio State and proved his himself, not necessarily from a coaching standpoint. I don't know if he was known as you know this X's and O's genius who was you know, amazing at like calling defensive plays or anything. I think he clearly had some success developing players, but first and foremost, he was a dominant recruiter for Ohio state. The amount of players I see on this list that he's attached to, and I'm sure he's not the only recruiter involved with these guys, but it's an insane list of talent. Don't try to hedge. Don't try to hedge. Uh, let's give, let's give the, if they're giving him credit, I'm giving him credit. All right. I'll run through the list of some of the big names here. Ezekiel Elliott, Von Bell, Eli Apple, Michael Jordan, Sam Hubbard, and Denzel Ward. Like there's some studs on this list of players that he has recruited. And look, the minute that the minute that he says it's official, he's he's coming to Cincinnati, we get it, we get the big man, right? We get the big man, AJ Harris, five-star recruit, being like Cincinnati's at the top of the list. I mean, well, there, I think there's it's gonna be a cachet there. I don't think Cincinnati was at the top of the list, but he did say Cincinnati is now very much in play for me. And that does encapsulate the power of Kerry Combs. So for anybody who was skeptical about this hire 
And, and where does the skepticism come from? Like, Joe, explain that to me. Where Kerry Coombs skepticism when it comes to being a special teams coordinator or a cornerbacks coach, why would people, should people be skeptical? And if so, why are they skeptical? I don't think they should be skeptical. I think it's just, you know, every coaching cycle, you know, in the past 12 years that you see, every time a coach leaves, echoes scream from the West side across the Western <laughs> Hills viaduct, Kerry Combs, and it echoes up the hill, MLK into Clifton. But I, I mean, as a coordinator and as a position coach, he's going to be awesome. He's already got the number three cornerback in the 2023 class interested in UC, and it's like day two on the job. So he's going to keep some of those high end guys. You know, we might see some of those high four stars that have been leaving the city to go lose eight games at Kentucky every year stay here now. I mean, it, I think it's a great move. Anybody that's, you know, somewhat skeptical, I think that they're just filled with pessimism. I'm excited to have Kerry back and everybody else should be too. All right. I'm just going to say, so we get, what do we get? 11 hours ago, Aaron Joshua Harris, Cincinnati is now a top school for me. Two hours ago, he goes, at J, J Hardaway 24, dreams to reality. Y'all not ready for this. Best duo in the country. Where are they going to throw with JQ Hardaway and AJ Harris with a C Paul in between with them dressed in Cincinnati Bearcat uniforms? Boys, this is definitely, I think this is definitely in play. Look, the schools that we're going up against, it's incredible that we're on this list. Because of Kerry Combs coming here, Alabama's on the list. LSU is on the list. Clemson, Notre Dame, North Carolina for some weird Georgia. reason. But Georgia and Ohio State, probably up until recently. That's, that is incredible. And the fact that I think he's tweeting out, that's, that's, that's good for us. He must have also sensed co something coming because he was supposed to be announcing his recruitment, I believe, on the, on the 11th. And so he's held off for, for a few days on making that decision. So it's very much in play. And if he's tweeting that stuff, I'm feeling pretty good that he wants to come play with his boy at the University of Cincinnati. W-S-J. W-S-J. It's, it's quite the uh, reputation he brings to Cincinnati. Honestly, I, I feel like if you look at this as objectively as you can, without the baggage of the people calling across town, I feel like this is a, a slam dunk hire for UC. Brian Mason going to, to Notre Dame, sure, it hurts. You don't like seeing coaches go to Notre Dame, given Marcus Freeman, Mike Mickens, Brian Kelly. Like, there's a ton of history about Notre Dame taking our coaches. Given that Brian Mason has been quickly replaced by a guy who's probably a superior recruiter and has limited downside from a coaching standpoint. Like, there's, do, you, do we think Kerry Coombs is going to result in, like, a awful special teams? No, this is a no-brainer hire for Fickle to try and continue upgrading the talent that Cincinnati brings in so that we can inevitably and inevitably become the Gonzaga of college football, which maybe isn't as good of a comparison now that the big 12 is on the horizon, but that's a bit of the vibe that Luke Fickle's got right now, which is sort of this oasis, this, this college football oasis in the middle of the country with all of this local talent around us. Kerry Coombs is going to help us lock that down even more than it already has been. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Thank you. We needed, we, we needed a bow on the, on the special team coordinator front. Let's move. It's like, I didn't, I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to add anything to that. Cause I'm like, that was just, 
so perfect and just the ending was so clean and so crisp uh it could always it could always use a hell yeah so the (laughs) other key departure that we have um carrie coombs leaves ohio state gets fired by ohio state or is not renewed i don't know what exactly the terms there perry eliano is stolen by ohio state so he was the cornerbacks coach for the bearcats and cornerbacks you think about this roster you think about you think about sauce gardner kobe bryant arquan bush obviously no shortage of production and talent at you see in the cornerbacks room. So it, 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 you know, outside looking in that hurts, it doesn't feel good. But again, if you look at the trend here, Denbrock to LSU Mason to Notre Dame, Eliano to Ohio state, these guys are not leaving for low level or lateral type positions in bigger conferences. They're being poached by the biggest and most well-funded and capitalized programs in the entire nation and i feel like that does speak to what luke fickle is continuing to build here at cincinnati so perry eliano departs he's now the defensive backs coach at ohio state and we know that that's essentially being replaced by Kerry coombs now as the new cornerbacks coach um, but if we're going to kind of go out you know one coach leaves another coach arrives we didn't necessarily talk about who's replacing brian mason as the sniper coach for the bearcats By all accounts, the rumor here is that Walter Stewart will be brought on. Former Bearcat football player will be brought on as the new snipers coach coming over from Arkansas State. Joe, I'll let you kick things off with this one. What do you want to say about Walter Stewart's arrival or Perry Eliano's departure as cornerbacks coach? I would say Perry Eliano is a bit of a sting, especially, you know, with the season that our cornerbacks just had, but we got to remember that he was only here for one year. Um, I think he was big in getting JQ Hardaway to come here. But um, if you look back on it, I think that our good friend, Mike Mickens kind of laid the groundwork for him. So while he'll be missed, uh, I hope he enjoys his time up North and uh, moving on to Walter Stewart, man, this is a guy that's known to be a, uh, a rising force in the coaching ranks. He was at uh, Temple before he went to Arkansas State. And, man, don't you just love hiring someone away from Butch Jones? Another another uh, Nick Saban uh, school. Reclamation for, project. Yeah, Nick Saban school for mm-hmm. coaches who can't coach good project at Arkansas real State. Good. It's, it's real good. Real good. He was uh, he was at Arkansas State for about 16 days. So um, I wish Butch the best in his future endeavors. But um, Walter, I think, is going to be a good hire. He's young, hungry. He definitely would have been an NFL prospect if he didn't have uh, medical issues coming out his senior year at UC. Um, but I think he'll be I think he'll be really good. He's going to be that next man in. I think when we have a opening on like the defensive line or linebackers, I think he'll be a natural fit in one of those positions, but coaching the snipers will be good. It'll help him diversify his uh, talents and I'm happy to have Walt on board. Yeah. It feels a bit like a no brainer. If he's a rising star in the coaching ranks has the connection to UC um, sort of keeping it in the family of sorts. I think there was, there was a great, you know what? I want to give proper credit to this, but there was a great meme, image, graphic, whatever you want to call it. It was created uh, earlier today on Twitter, 
that made me just laugh like hell. And it was made by Connor Bowen. Um, just <laughs> it was Luke Vickle's head on Vin Diesel's body uh, on top of a Fast and Furious, whatever Fast and the Furious graphic that said, I don't I don't have recruits. I got family. And this is more case in point of we're keeping it in the family. Bring it back, former Bearcats, to, to continue elevating this program even even further. And uh, from a sniper's coach perspective, I mean, it feels like a, a, a great hire for the Bearcats here. Yeah, Temple, uh, in his first two seasons at Temple, they had 67 sacks in 32 games. And he also coached uh, AAC Defensive Player of the Year, Quincy Roche, who uh, I think plays for the Giants. So I think he's he's got some good uh, early accolades, and I'm eager to see what he can do here and uh, escalate his career. Maybe one day he'll be the next great Bearcats defensive coordinator. Speaking of that, I was just a, a random thought that went through my head. When you think about the the eye that Luke Fickle not only has for recruits but the coaching staff, Luke Fickle's coaching tree does include the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Like that is Luke Fickle's coaching tree is starting to get you know into those 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 jobs that are very highly coveted, and his co- his coaches are getting poached to you know the Ohio States. Uh, LSUs, they're, they are what you would consider to be the blue bloods of college football. It's not like they're getting poached to go to Vanderbilt. One tried to leave the Vanderbilt. It's not even poaching. He just tried to leave. But they're, he, he's getting, they're getting poached to like what you would consider to be these blue blood schools. So it's another example of like, let's just trust what Luke Fickle is doing and know that Luke Fickle, you know, he brings big thick energy in everything he does, not just recruiting not just to play on the field, but also in the coaches that he's bringing it to, to round out his staff. And it's one of the appealing things about joining Fickle staff, right? Like that's, that's what makes it such an appealing position now is with the Bearcats now being this prolific top 25 team year in, year out, the talents increasing every single year. It's sort of the, and we're going to get into it when we talk about the roster departures, but we talk so much about the departing talent. We talk about the players that we're losing and why it's going to be so hard to maintain this elite level of football that we've grown accustomed to these past two seasons. The thing is the, the overall recruiting rankings of the classes that are still here were higher in terms of their starting point than these previous senior classes that we've had. So there's a lot of upside on the roster. Luke Fickle's proven that he has an ability to bring coaches, bring young coaches in, give them opportunities, offer his own mentorship, give them opportunities to sort of, be their own man, be their own coach and, and go off to, to bigger and, and, you know, richer opportunities in the case of March, Marcus Freeman. Um, so with that, there is, there is one additional arrival here that we should mention. It appears to be a hire that Gino Gadulli would be responsible for as the new offensive coordinator. Ron Crook is being moved to a different position with the team or potentially out entirely. That is TBD. And in his place, he was the offensive line coach. In his place is Mike Cummings. How do you feel Central about that, Michigan. that, Joe? How do, you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Mike Cummings? This is actually the most exciting uh, coaching staff move for me. Uh, not only because of his last name. He didn't take the bait. Not only Throw because up. of Throw his up. last name, but because of what he lays out on the field. I mean, he has emptied a load into the NFL. <laughs> 
uh he had give me give me some of those guys give me so who are the guys that he's he's unloaded into the nfl so um <laughs> everyone probably knows uh and he came from central michigan uh just to to toss that out there but he had a uh first round draft pick a few years ago in eric fisher who was a two-star prospect coming in to central michigan and then this year, he actually has two guys on the offensive line who are projected to be drafted in the first four rounds. Uh, Bernard Ryman, who's probably looking to be a late first, early second type guy. And then uh, Luke Gotticke, who is probably late third, early fourth as of right now. So Sounds like a Cincinnati Bengal right there. Anybody that can play offensive line would be great for that team. So I think it'll be really exciting to bring in a guy like that, see what he can do with much better talent. Cause let's face it, you know, the guys that you see is getting on the offensive line are higher rated and project higher than the guys that central Michigan are going to get. So it'll be exciting to see what happens when he can get his hands on some of these guys like Tunstall and O'Quinn and see if uh, we can push them and into being, you know, late first, early second type players. So it's worth asking the question. I mean, is this, when it comes to replacing coaching positions, some of them were forced upon us by Perry Eliano leaving. Like, I don't think that I would have asked for a new cornerbacks coach, given how that unit was performing. If we look at the roster as a whole and some of the weaknesses that this, these past teams had, it does seem like the Bearcats had an opportunity to upgrade this coaching position. I don't know that we were necessarily seeing the growth and development out of offensive line players um, that we have seen at other positions with the Bearcats, where you have guys come in as lower rated players, yet they're leaving Cincinnati and either fighting for, for positions on NFL rosters uh, like Marquise Copeland for the Rams inter intercepting a pass here in the playoffs in the NFL um, we're seeing obviously what Sauce Gardner is doing, what Kobe Bryant's doing. This offensive line kind of it feels like it needs a fresh look, a fresh set of eyes, uh, a new perspective of sorts. And it sounds like Mike Cummings is exactly that guy. Yeah, I mean, make no doubt about it. I mean, it seems like every single year we're going into the transfer portal looking for an offensive tackle. So it's clear that there was some development not happening there or some misassessment of these players. So you know, going forward, having a guy like Mike Cummings on the on the team and on the staff, you would think he might one help identify the talent out there, and number two, get uh, some of these guys to play at a higher level. So I think that'll be exciting to see, especially as we move into the Big Twelve, where you know we're going to need a much better offensive line than what we had this year. Is is Central Michigan? Do do you think they view us the way we have? for the past, you know, 12 years or whatever viewed Notre Dame that we just constantly like central Michigan is like the coaching factory for, for the university of Cincinnati. Like, do you think they just hate us? So they're like, Oh, these guys, again, <laughs> these guys stealing our, stealing our coaches. The, the 16 fans that are on their 24 uh, seven message board probably really despise us. That is more fans than what's on the temple message boards. Uh, you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm going to stop giving Temple some so much crap because their message board honestly was gold. I like we're homers on this podcast. No, they are homers. Like they were like they they believe they were going to beat us last year. Like they legitimately were like this is how we beat UC by here's how we do it. 
you got to have all your fans watching the game on TV. That is that is the number one key to victory is having your fans watch on TV to support you. Okay, guys, I love it. I'm here for it. I'm here for the Temple message boards. But <laughs> Central Michigan, I don't know, not so much. <laughs> yeah, they definitely uh, – I, I, I even saw a screenshot from their message board that was like, oh, F off when they saw that we were taking them. So that's pretty funny, but yeah, I mean, that's the name of the game. You know, if you have a, a good guy in your staff and you are at that level, they're going to get poached. So we were there before we're not there anymore, baby. I can't say it enough. I feel like you should just worry a lot less about poaching when you've got an amazing head coach, when you've got the head coach at the helm staying here for now his sixth season, and you've got the results that we've had where we're making the college football playoff, winning American athletic championships. What happens underneath him is much less important than keeping him in Cincinnati. And the fact that he's still here, the fact that John Cunningham and our athletic department seems incredibly invested in taking the necessary steps to make this a destination job, to give him more resources, to be consistently competing for top 10 positions year in, year out as we head into the Big 12 all of that bodes well if you're a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. Let's start diving in, though, to the player departures and how we're going to be replacing key contributors from the past season. Obviously, the most notable departure for the Cincinnati Bearcats, first and foremost, would be Desmond Ritter, one of the five winningest quarterbacks in the history of college football. He, I think he finished his career with 44 victories, might even have worked his way into top three all time for all I know. Undefeated um, at Nippert Stadium. Undefeated, never lost a game at Nippert Stadium. Just the epitome of a winning quarterback, uh, no matter what any other hateful fan bases say. This is the premier quarterback in the American Athletic Conference for the past two seasons. A, a player who saw improvement every single season. And how we replaced Des Ritter would seem to me to be one of the first questions you ask heading into this next season. So, you know, Joe, where do we, where do we start with this? We obviously have Ben Bryant coming into the fold here. He's transferring back to Cincinnati, but beyond that, there's the golden child, the golden goose of Bearcat football, Evan Prater, who came here from Wyoming high school as at the time, the highest rated quarterback in the history of the program. Now he has since been surpassed in that category by a couple other players. I think, Hardaway and Eugenio are both higher ranked than, than Evan Prater was, but how do you see this quarterback situation playing out as we head into the 2022, 2023 season? Well, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, I would have said Evan Prater season, baby, but now things are looking a little more questionable. You know, you go out and get a guy that started for a season at Eastern Michigan, had pretty good numbers, despite the fact that that team has very little talent. Um, but, you know, you have to get a you need a guy in the room that has starting experience and going back and getting Ben Bryant just made a lot of sense. You know, it seems like he's happy to be back. He's going to provide some challenges for Prater in spring ball. And this team has proven time after time, you have to earn your starting position. And if Prater has been somewhat inconsistent, like uh, has been reported in practice, you know, sometimes you hear he has an amazing day. Sometimes you hear he has a bad day, 
Bryant's going to be the guy that pushes him because it's his time now to shine. So having a guy that started an entire season, started a game here for us in uh, 2019 against Memphis, it's going to be a great competition to watch in the spring, and it's definitely going to be exciting. I'm not sure I am excited for that competition. I got to be honest. Um, I'm ready for Prater season. I'm ready for Evan Prater to be taking over the reins for this football program. And that's because I gravitate toward upside football. I want the starting quarterback to be a guy who can lift this team to heights that we wouldn't necessarily expect given the current roster construct or the current talent levels. I thought that Dev, I thought that Desmond Ritter did that when he started games early on in his career, freshman year, sophomore year, the ability to be that dual threat, the ability to, to have a strong arm uh, while maybe inconsistent at times, not as accurate at times early in his career, he was much more of a threat to provide headaches to defenses than Brent, Ben Bryant was. I mean, Ben Bryant was, there was a quarterback controversy heading into Des Ritter's junior season. I mean, there was, legitimate backlash to Dez's first couple performances of that season. People were calling for Ben Bryant to start. And I hear you. I know that Evan Prater, it sounds like hasn't been completely perfect in practice. Um, I'm not even necessarily opposed to a quarterback competition. Like that's not really what I'm saying. I guess if I'm just looking, looking out into the future at spring ball at fall training camp, I am desperate for Evan Prater to seize this job and take control of the quarterback position. Because while I appreciate Ben Bryant coming back to UC, offering some depth at the, at the position, offering competition for Prater, because I do think that can lead to improvement and being more dialed in and knowing that you have to fight for your job. Um, I also think that we sort of know that there's a cap on what Ben Bryant can be as the starting quarterback of this Bearcats football team. Like, I don't think he offers the same upside that a guy like Evan Prater would when we see how explosive he can be with the football in his hands. I would agree with you on that. And except unless we run the same exact offense we did this past year in which Ritter barely ran the ball. So, you know, and I think that's another advantage to having Ben Bryant on the roster is that you do have a backup with some experience and you can take some risks with Prater next year. If he gets knocked down for a play or two or needs a, needs a break after a big hit. So I agree. I think Evan Prater will win the competition in the spring, and I think he is going to be electric next season. I think he's going to have a breakout year. But having Bryant on the roster is definitely a good problem to have, I think, long term. I think that you two must be out of your goddamn minds. <laughs> No, I'm I'm 100% okay with having Ben Bryant seriously on, on the roster. I do want to see this competition. I want it to be a full-fledged, you know, mano e mano competition. Best man wins the starting job, but I want that man to be Evan Prater. I want him to have developed enough over the first two seasons here to have another off-season of growth to be able to come in and take the starting job because at the end of the day, I think this Bearcats team is poised for legitimately another 13-0 run. I don't see a reason why we can't do it. The American Athletic Conference is not that great. Like, it's not like we're – legitimately, it's not like we're playing 
I'm going to say we're not playing in the SEC. All right. We're not playing in the big 10. We're playing in the American athletic conference where we're going to have another good Houston team, a decent SMU team. But for the most part, like UCF will be okay. But the rest of the rest of the conference is going to be kind of like just meh. It's, it's disgusting. And we, we don't have that hard of a, of a non-conference schedule. We have one game that's going to be tough and at Arkansas, I think we have a barn burner of a, of a one with what Ken Kennesaw, Kennesaw state or something whatever all i'm saying is when you have young talent that four star rated been basically redshirting redshirted freshman year has last year he has two years of growth and building up that muscle getting that arm strength up we're at a point with this team in this recruiting cycle that we have basically next man up mentality we are now to the point where like all right, you have Ohio State every year. They have a freshman quarterback who starts. Do they think that, oh, it's a freshman quarterback. We're going to, it's okay if we lose four games. No, they come back with aspirations of winning the Big Ten championship, of getting to the playoff. Alabama, same thing every year, freshman quarterback or a senior quarterback. They have aspirations of going 13 and 0, getting to the college playoff and winning a national championship. That's where this team is under Fick right now. That's where we are in this recruiting cycle. This isn't a rebuild. This isn't a full on rebuild. We're bringing back a bunch of the offensive line, we're bringing back some key defensive, defensive players, and we have some good recruits coming in. I'm thinking that I want to see the best talent win the job to be playing in the game. And I think Ben Bryant's good. If you look at his stats last year, very comparable, very comparable to Des Ritter. The only thing that, that really kind of stands off the page is he, 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 he challenged him in yards. The thing he fell off the map was TDs 30 to 14, but he was sacked 40 times versus 26. I don't know if that's, I don't watch Eastern Michigan. I don't know if that's a result of just the line collapsing there and being terrible. But I want to see the best talent win, and I think Evan Prater has that talent that, like Coomer said, takes us to the next level. I think Ben Bryant it may be a stagnation in terms of talent if he's the one who ultimately wins out the job. I look at these situations, and I think sometimes when it's a quarterback competition of sorts, sometimes we get enamored with one specific facet of quarterbacking. And in Ben Bryant's case, like I do think there probably is a built-in advantage for him to, from a throwing perspective. Like I suspect that all things equal, he's coming into training camp, probably a better thrower of the football day one than Evan Prater is. And so naturally, because of what we historically think of as a quarterback, we sort of will obsess over that specific facet and say, well, that means he should start. And that means he should be the guy by default that we have as our starting quarterback. When in reality, Prater is way more explosive than Des Ritter as a runner of the football. And Joe, it's a great point. You have to design two different offenses for Prater and for Bryant. They will operate differently when it comes to running an offense. And I think that Prater sort of builds in this baseline of a floor, like the floor he can create with this running offense. Um, and we'll talk about how we replace Jerome Ford and that productivity, but they're there are guys on this roster with Ryan Montgomery and Ethan Wright who have shown flashes of being very good college football running backs. Prater is explosive. He is dynamic with the football in his hands. And if he, if he shows any sort of potential throwing the ball and an ability to not turn the ball over, because that's the big thing. If, if Prater is going to get in the game and be a turnover liability where every single game, um, if he's throwing the ball 20, 25 times a game, you get a pick or two every single game. I do think it becomes very difficult to play him at that point. And you do tend to default to the more sure thing, the, the less turnover prone quarterback. 
Um, I think that coaches like that reliability. So if, if Prater has turnover issues, I think that's one way you could see him losing the job, but if all things are equal and both guys look pretty strong in training camp and maybe it's a 50, 50 call, I really want to see the Cincinnati Bearcats default to Prater given what he can do running the ball, given what he can potentially be in the future from a development standpoint. Cause I do think there's just a big difference from an upside perspective. What do you think, Joe? Am I, am I dismiss, am I being too dismissive of Bryant? Because I do think it's a good thing that he's here. I think it's awesome that he's back as a Bearcat. I do think that depth is important injuries, competition. I mean, all those things are good, but am I dismissing or being too dismissive over what Ben Bryant could be as a, a starting quarterback option? I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is in a lot of team scenarios, everyone's favorite player is the backup quarterback. Unless you've got an elite guy like Ritter who who takes your team, you know, to top top four wins in NCAA history. But, you know, I think when you look at the recruiting rankings and the skill set that Prater have, it's definitely exciting to want to have that guy out there. Um, we know what we have in Bryant. He's got big arm talent. He had a bad offensive line at Eastern Michigan last year, but I mean, I think you should want to root for Evan Prater because he was the hometown hero. He was the highest rated recruit in program history at the time. And, you know, getting those guys in and building that pipeline in Cincinnati of guys that are going to come in and stay at Cincinnati is very important. But at the end of the day, and Fick, I trust, and whoever wins that competition I'm going to roll with them all year and we'll see what happens. Fix out here to win games at the end of the day. That's what he's here to do. That's what he wants to do. He's going to pick the quarterback who wins and is going to be in the coaching staff's minds. The player that gives us the greatest opportunity to win football games. So if that's Ben Bryant, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to, the minute he screws up, I'm not going to be yelling, putting in, you know, put in Prater. But if, if there's a, I feel like I would be giving him a short leash if we go three or four games and he happens to be a turnover machine. I'm like, yeah, let's turn the reins over, right? Let the young guy, let the young guy roll too. Uh, but I'm fine with it. Either way, I think it's great that you have this competition. It's gonna, it's gonna make both players better. I feel like one of the thing was that like kind of got me about the the transfer, like kind of the announcement, just with the thoughts going through my head is oh, Des is leaving. My opening's here. I'm going to come back. It's my job. So I, I, that's why I, you know there's going to be a competition. I'm excited for the competition. And I want, I, want, I want you guys to report all about it from Camp Higher Ground. I do, think, I do think next year is the year to figure out how to get some sort of permission, passes, whatever the case may be, to make a visit to the, uh, the Holy Land. We may need to talk hey, to can our – can, can you sign my permission slip? We might need to talk to our friend Bernard – about uh, getting some press accolades into Camp Higher Ground. Bernard, is it time to reach out? It could be. Um, besides Prater and Bryant, the two obvious candidates to be the starting quarterback next season, who else should we talk about at the quarterback position? Do we want to make mention of this incoming freshman from Tennessee, uh, Luther Richeson? Am I saying his last name correctly? Richeson? I think so. Um, it's always tough when you don't, I need to hear an announcer. I need to hear Dan Horde say these names one time to know for sure how to say it. But this kid comes in with a dynamic arm. I mean, all I've seen are a few viral clips of this kid, just chucking it, uh, with, with ease down the field. He seems like an intriguing prospect. If he was an early enrollee, 
I would say there may be reason to keep an eye on him, but he's holding a clipboard all next year unless something goes very, very wrong in the quarterback room. Fair enough. And it's, it's good to have that type of talent and depth uh, at the freshman position, because what I do, I am opposed to the idea of starting Prater simply because we don't want to quote unquote risk him transferring. Um, that's not how you make decisions. At the end of the day, Joe, you made the most important point, which is that in fickle, we trust. We've done that um, through thick and thin. I mean, every single decision on this podcast, we stand behind the fact that if we trust our head coach and we believe that he's one of the best head coaches in college football, we should also be willing to trust the decisions he makes about who's on the field. So I will ride with that too when it comes to the quarterback position. Uh, I'm just, please, please let Prater win this job. Let him be everything I envisioned him. As. Are we all unanimous then, like in our thought of who is going to win this battle? Like the way too early, haven't even hit camp, camp higher ground yet. Are we all unanimous that we think Mr. Ohio, Evan Prater is going to win this job? Is there anybody here who thinks it's not going to be him? I think he wins the job. And if he doesn't win the job to Ben Bryant, he doesn't have that, you know, killer mentality that you have to have to be a starting quarterback at a division one school. I'm not sure if it would be a killer mentality. I think if he doesn't win the job, it's because he turns the ball over too much. That's, that's the thing that I think could be the, the one component of the game that holds him back is that if they find that he's too big of a risk to throw interceptions or fumble the ball, whatever the case may be, if ball security is in question, I do think that they'll easily give the ball, give the, uh, the starting nod to Ben Bryant, because I think coaches value stability and predictability more than anything else. I think we're crazy. I think we're discounting the fact that this kid was a stud recruit, like that this kid is talented, that that he's Mr. Ohio football, that he's he's a guy that you we were so pumped about him being recruited because he's so highly touted. Like these are kids that like, this is a guy that you're just you you expect him to come in. He's already had one year, two years holding a clipboard. This is going to be his third year of knowing defenses, knowing schemes, practicing with guys that are elite in terms of athletic ability. Like, I'm not worried about him turning the ball. If, he, if I think Joe's right. If he doesn't win the job, it's because he doesn't have the mentality. He should have all the skill in the world. He's been quarterbacked by Gino, coached by Gino Gudulli now for, this will be his third year under Gino's tutelage. If, he, if he's not bringing it this year, then he's not, if he's transferring, Unfortunately for us, this is one of those transfers that's not probably going to LSU. It's not going to go to Alabama. He's going to Eastern Michigan, right? He's going to Central. He's going to go to a lower division school to play in the MAC because he doesn't have what it takes to play at this level. And I don't think that's the case. I think he's going to come out here and dominate. I think he's going to come out here and break records. Granted, he's going to have a hard time beating Des's record. Des had four years to do it, but I think he's going to come out here and break some records. You're, you're representing this sort of as like me and Joe don't believe. I believe in Evan Prater. You I keep just hedging. Waxed, you're, I you're waxed hedging. poetic. I'm telling you, I'm predicting that the only thing that could keep Evan, Evan Prater off the field would be turnovers. Literally, that's the only thing. Otherwise, the talent Fair. is too overwhelming to keep him off the field. That He runs the ball. He is so explosive with the ball in his hands. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. It's definitely the most intriguing training camp battle about who wins that position, but... All in all, it's a good thing to have the battle. Let's talk about the next position group that I think is going to be the most in flux, and that's cornerback defensively. Uh, losing Sauce Gardner, two-time All-American. Um, honestly, like in my opinion, it's hard to see why anyone would think he's not the best cornerback 
in this 2021 NFL draft. Sorry, 2022 NFL draft. Um, he's long. Ball skills are incredible. Mental Never health is a real issue. Mental health is a real issue in this, this country, okay? It is. It is. He never gave up a touchdown in his NFL career. I'm sorry, in his college career. And he ultimately shut down half the field every single game for the Bearcats. On the other side of the ball was Kobe Bryant, who won the Jim Thorpe Award and was also an All-American cornerback. And so replacing those two players seems to be a difficult and tall task. Joe, how about you start? Where do the Bearcats go? Where does Fickle go? when it comes to replacing these these two elite players? Well, the the problem when you have two players at an elite status like that is they don't come off the field. So Sauce and Kobe were on the field a lot, and they were joined by Arquan Bush, who played the slot mostly. And I think you're going to see Bush maybe get a shot outside early, early on in the season. I think he's got the skill set. He's definitely a strong cornerback. I think he has a lot of potential, so we'll definitely be seeing him get his shot playing either on the boundary or field side next season. And then behind them, you have a bunch of question marks who only played in blowouts against Miami and um, Murray State this year mostly, but uh, a lot of highly rated guys like Sammy Anderson, Todd, uh, Todd Bumpfus, Justin Harris, he's the one that's famous for the picture uh, standing at the uh, Peach Bowl watching the, the trophy ceremony uh, as the only guy on the field. Uh, you got a guy from LaSalle last year, Isa Jarman. You've got Taj Ward and uh, Malik Rainey are all guys that were pretty highly rated and the coaching staff was excited about bringing in, but we just haven't gotten a, a good look at them. But I think the guy that's the most intriguing uh, for this season is actually J.Q. Hardaway because he has that Ahmad Gardner build. He's 6'3". He's long. I wouldn't be shocked if J.Q. Hardaway was a starter week one. Um, you know, he's one of the highest rated cornerback recruits we've ever had. He's already got that body that Ahmad had. So it could be pretty exciting to see a true freshman out there week one. He's an early enrollee, so Brady Collins is going to have a few months with his body. He'll be here for spring ball. Could be fun. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think you're going to have JQ, JQ Hardaway and A.J. Harris both on the field together. That. Hang I'm, I'm, hang I'm hang in, on. man. It's a, AJ Harris happening. is a 20. He's a 2023 recruit. Yeah. Maybe next year. Please, Maybe man. next year. Be, Maybe uh, next year. We're, we are going to make sure that AJ Harris. I'm going to I'm going to work him into this podcast as much AJ as I can. Harris. Hummer's on that. He's on that uh, crack cocaine. That's Kerry Combs joining the Bearcats. Oh, no. He can't see straight right now. He's absolutely lit. I'm so high on that Empress chili. He's got it going straight <laughs> into his veins. That Kerry Combs energy. <laughs> Kerry Combs is such an awesome recruiter that he is going to get AJ Harris to graduate high school a year early, early. enroll, early. be re- be college ready. Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's that's not uh that's not unprecedented though. It's 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 we, we've had true. we've had a player forego his senior year of high school to go straight to college and then go straight back home after sucking on kombuchas for a year and a million dollar check back to texas 
Well, I do think you are right about JQ Hardway legitimately being the most intriguing player that that's going to come up because we know that Sauce was uh, an early player as well. You know, he 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 stepped on the field and had an immediate impact. And this is a position where you can you can do that as a freshman, come out, have an immediate impact, be elite. And so I, I am intrigued to see to see what he's going to do. So I think you're 100 right there. I don't know if I'm as worried. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, it is. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it is a near impossible task to replace someone by like Sauce Gardner. But I do think our cornerbacks are still good and that we're going to have a good secondary. It may not be, you know, last year's secondary was so damn good that the only thing Georgia really could do against or Georgia Alabama could do against us was run the ball. Their Heisman quarterback threw for a season low yards against us you know you're elite when you're holding when you're when that's the kind of work you're doing i don't know if we'll be quite that good but i still think we'll be a formidable squad i think it'll be a tough tough to throw against us i think we're going to see a lot a lot of turnovers created by the secondary unit uh, so I, i'm i'm ready to rock and roll with this team especially in the american american conference let me help you be a little bit more emphatic we will not be as good in the secondary next year as we were this year you cannot replace sauce Gardner. like you literally cannot replace him he shut down half the field quarterbacks were not even looking in his direction generational so when we're talking generational talent top half of the nfl draft i expect this guy to end up in the top 15 picks like he's his talent is unquestioned he's he's elite now i do think it's incredibly fortuitous that as we lose this generational talent from the cincinnati bearcats we also seem to be getting this generational talent in JQ Hardaway. 6'3. So Joe's not kidding about this guy's size. Six foot three. And Sauce is a bigger cornerback as well. But Sauce came into the Bearcats program, I think, at like 150, 155 pounds. JQ Hardaway's 190. Dude's built like a man coming out of high school. So if there is someone who's built in a way that could see him slide into a starting spot early on in his career as a freshman, I feel like JQ is that guy. It's nice that the pipeline does have um, some talented, high pedigree type players in reserve, but there's so much of a wild card here. I mean, Arquan Bush is sort of the st- the stabilizer in this group, but I do think if we just think about it conceptually and do less predicting about who's going to play in what position, our our defense is at the most risk right now to see the biggest drop off. In my opinion, losing Kobe and losing Sauce is a bigger deal than losing Des Ritter. I actually think that's more impactful to our team in terms of what we were able to do and how much, how much freedom Sauce Gardner gave Coach Fickle and that defensive staff by shutting down half the field. I, I really think we can't emphasize it enough that this turnover in the cornerback position should pre- present the biggest challenge for our coaching staff, and I think it's a good thing that Fickle is known to be that defensive mind, that defensive coach, and that if the development at that position group continues to trend as it did for Kobe and did for Sauce, maybe we can you know, ease the pain a little bit, stop the bleeding. But I do think this sets up to be one of the bigger uh, drop-offs for the Bearcats football team next year. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And the, the one positive thing, too, is that uh, Michigan State was pretty strong uh, in the defensive secondary uh, when Trestle was there. So, you know, you have Kerry Combs coming in with that Big Ten corner pedigree. 
You've got uh, our good friend, Mike Tressel, who has that pedigree. And then you've got these guys that have been learning from Kobe and sauce. It's going to be a huge step off, but I think we've got enough talent to still be a very good uh, defensive unit on the secondary front, but it's definitely going to come with some change. You guys are hundred percent right. Like, is it going to be as good? No, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of other factors we haven't seen. When you have two guys, like Stoss, like Kobe, who are constantly on the field, what don't you get? You don't get the freshman getting as much playing time. You don't get these guys who had the chance to do what Sauce was able to do. Like the same thing with, I mentioned that I think Evan's going to come in and, and break records, but he's never, no one's ever going to be Dez's all time rec- yard record anymore. Cause we're probably never going to get, as long as Luke Fickle's here and his coaching staff is solidified, we're not going to get a four year freshman starting quarterback again. It's almost like the, the, the Devante Vaughn effect where you, you just, you just, or the, the kill Patrick, you just played so many years that you, your records are going to be, you're still be standing, but you get guys that you just haven't seen play because they haven't had a real opportunity to play because they've had these two, these, this group of guys in front of them, right. That we've had such a solid core of cornerbacks that we never really had a rotation of guys coming in and out. I think that's what you were pointing out, Joe, is that these guys were constantly on the field. So for the first time, we're going to start seeing – we're seeing the turnover, and we're going to see what some of these other guys can do. You're right. Sauce generational talent. What I'm saying and what I think is that this is still going to be a decent cornerbacking unit, that I think it's still going to be a strong secondary, and that opposing t- t- teams are going to have trouble with us because it's still a strong unit. I'm still okay with, with what, uh, what we're going to be throwing out there. And sorry, I walked away for a minute there while Joe was initially talking about the cornerback position, but – I mean, there are some young players on the roster beyond JQ Hardaway as far as op- offering upside in this unit. Um, I'm sure, I think I heard heard you mention Jarman, uh, who was a freshman last season out of LaSalle. Isn't, isn't Sammy Anderson Jr. someone who gets a lot of buzz about maybe the next great cornerback for UC? Yeah, Anderson and Bumpus kind of go hand in hand. They were presumed to be kind of like the next man in this past year. Um, if sauce or Kobe were to, were to go down. Well, if I'm proven wrong, and if this unit doesn't see significant drop off, I feel like you're going to, um, I mean, success begets success. I think that we become this appealing defensive back university by the fact that we have these notable all Americans on our roster, um, who come April, one of them is going to be picked in the first round. The other one's probably going to be first two or three rounds. Um, that bodes well for building out a pipeline of these guys wanting to come to the university of Cincinnati. We see it with Hardaway. And if you see Anderson or you see Bumpus uh, come in year one in a starting type role and contribute right away, it shows that fickle and his staff have a knack for developing these guys and, and building them up and making them ready for that next level. Yeah. I think the best thing to secure a guy like AJ Harris is to have a strong secondary this year. That's right. That's right. Lock it in. And then obviously also have Kerry Combs on your staff, which we do. He's back. We need, we need to have a Kerry Combs counter. How many times have we mentioned Kerry Combs? Bing. <laughs> over, Bing. over under 10 more times for the podcast. And if it's over, we, we all do a shot next time we're together. <laughs> Bingo. Kerry Combs, 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 Kerry Combs. Shot. It's going to be a long <laughs> night. Look, we're going to kind of take our time through this because there's a lot of overhaul, and this is sort of the last big conversation we're going to have about the football team until spring football. So um, I think it's worth paying attention to these things and 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 spending as much time as we need to sort of work through it. 
Can um, I introduce the next one? Sure, go ahead. This is this position is one that is just in my mind, it's the biggest, it's the biggest loss that we could have potentially had. Without this player, uh, there's potential embarrassment in in the Bearcats season. Uh, just absolutely, just just a crucial piece to the puzzle, Cole Smith. You know, Cole was be was beleaguered last year for sure, and uh, he came back and finished his career strong. I mean, when you look at did me proud when baby. you look at uh, <laughs> Cole Smith's biggest moments. They came in big games, and that's pretty awesome for him. I mean, he he kicked the game-winning kick in the AAC Championship in 2020. He scored our only points against Alabama. Uh, I know he had a he had some injury issues this year. I think that kind of led to him having a rough go of it early on. But there is some light at the end of this kicker tunnel. Yeah, I feel like Hummer was being a bit facetious there, but the I was being is, like serious, serious and facetious eh. because it's like, look, the, the when he was gone, oh my lord, like it was atrocious. We missed half our field goals this year. It was like we literally kicked fifty percent. It was like well, flip of the coin. He and when started we get the to season Alabama, off rough too. It's not like he was knocking him down this year. He had a rough season. He did close it strongly. I actually was happy to see him make those two kicks against Bama. Uh, so that he is going out on a high note because he really did have some good moments. As we all facetiously like we, not only did we legitimately cheer in Dallas, there was a tinge of sarcasm in the entire cheer of like, yay, we did it because everybody was holding their collective breath of like, this is literally we feel like it was a coin flip. Um, so, yeah. And we and if I'm not mistaken, we have Ryan Co. Is that is that how I'm pronounced to this? Co. C.O.E. Kicker. 6'3", 225. Monster of a human being transferring from Delaware. This was a guy who was making YouTube videos at the end of last season. And so I think someone just pointed out like, Hey, we should go sign this guy. And what do you know? Coach Fick already on it. They were already on it <laughs> all over him. Like white on rice. I'm a big fan of thick kickers. And this seems like it might be a thick kicker. What about thickers? <laughs> That's right. the- Careful. Mother thickers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, look, I'm not going to give a ton of, we're not going to spend a ton of time on kickers, but if this is someone that's why I want to come in quick, <laughs> well, I mean, he's, he's on the record making a 54 yard field goal um, back again in an FCS game. But again, he's got 54 yard range. So if this is someone who can come in and make kicks at a high clip next season, maybe we have a less explosive offense and the, and the field goals matter more or are more needed. Cause last season, let's face it. We had a bad kicking game and it didn't matter. We didn't need elite kick, kicking last season. Next year might be a different story. So having a a new option in Ryan Co with fifty yard plus range, um, I'm happy about it. And I'm thrilled. We spend enough time talking about kickers. Here's what we need to know: We got a guy with some impressive uh, kicking abilities on YouTube. You can go check out his videos. Who's next? What's the next position? All right. So if we're gonna get back to the script here and go through sort of. Um, important positions and important departures. We start with quarterback. Um, we get, we then move to the cornerback position. We're going to start clustering these together a bit, but we're losing Jerome Ford early to the draft, the transfer from Alabama. Uh, he is now entering his name in, into, into the fray. I imagine he'll get drafted uh, elite talent, the most explosive running back we've had since Isaiah Pede. 
We mentioned him earlier, but we've got Ryan Montgomery on the roster who definitely had a, a bit of a coming out season last year, showed some serious flashes, was a much better option in the punt return game. I thought he showed tremendous strides there. Um, but we also saw him with some incredible runs. I'm, I'm blanking on the game it was, but um, when we were looking for some style points, Ryan Montgomery delivered style points with this incredible 50-yard run that involved the spin move. And then obviously Ethan Wright um, multiple times last year showing you how, how incredibly hard he runs. So I know that the coaching staff is looking for options maybe in the portal. But I also think there are still some good players on this team right now that can fill that void, certainly not to the level of Jerome Ford, but there are good players in the running back room. Yeah, I think that that big run came in the USF game because I was in the stands in Tampa Bay as I watched him hurdle down the field. Um, and when it comes to the running back position, this is going to be a year, I think, of transition. I think it's going to be a lot of running back by committee and kind of who has the hot hand this year. I'm not seeing an elite talent right now, unless somebody breaks out in spring ball or we come off of a uh, go and get a transfer, like a guy like Jerome Ford, who was, you know, getting passed up at Alabama, but you know, you've got Ryan Montgomery who has some game experience. Ethan Wright had some game experience last year. And then you have a really highly touted freshman from last year, Miles Montgomery, who didn't get a lot of opportunities last year that could bust out. And then uh, freshman Stefan Bird, too, is a guy the staff was high on. So um, as of right now, there's not a guy that jumps out on the paper, but, you know, there is a lot of talent in that room. So I think we're in pretty good. And hands. there's still like, let's face it, there's still some time for Brian Kelly to just piss Corey Kiner off and maybe he enters the portal and comes home. Man, if this fan base got Corey Kiner and Kerry Coombs in the same <laughs> offseason, the, the fan base may explode. We'll celebrate more than we did for the college football playoff. You'll see Clifton on fire, couches burning in the streets, cars being bashed with, with baseball bats. That's the type of celebration we'd have for the Combs Kiner. Everyone congregates at Empress Chili and at uh, Chili Time in uh, St. Bernard outside of Roger Bacon. So I'm going to keep it moving here. I know we're, we're kind of uh, we're getting long in the tooth here on this episode. We're about 90 minutes in. But a, a departure I want to make mention of are a couple departures. We're losing Darian Beavers and Joel DeBlanco at, from our linebacker position group. And it's not the group that I think I'm most concerned about. Um, Deshaun Pace is still very much in the fold. My favorite player on the team. Love what he brings to the table. I, I offer their departures, and they are two incredibly productive players, DeBlanco all over the place, uh, oftentimes leading the team in tackles. Beavers, we know what he brought to the table from a rushing the quarterback standpoint. Both of them had incredible senior seasons, took advantage of those extra COVID years. But obviously, this is also leading to one of the bigger arrivals in the transfer portal. Ivan Pace Jr. is arriving at UC, transferring from Miami, Ohio. Yes, he's the brother of Deshaun Pace. And he was also one of the top 100 college football players per pro football focus, which I thought was a very, very interesting detail there, given that he just so happens uh, to be arriving at Cincinnati at the right time. We're going to have the Bash brothers in the front seven next season, which is going to be pretty exciting. Um, so I think you're going to definitely, maybe we can stop the run. 
that would be an interesting proposition for sure. Um, I think you'll definitely see both Deshaun and Ivan getting starts at linebacker. Um, I liked what I saw from Jaheim Thomas kind of filling in for DeBlanco when, De, when DeBlanco got shaken up uh, early on in games. I'm going to kind of hesitate on picking a fourth linebacker right now because I kind of see us maybe reverting back to the 4-3 under Trestle. But, you know, we also have a guy in Wilson Huber who said he's going to come back, and he was a pretty good pass rushing guy last season. So I think we've got some good depth at linebacker, and pace is definitely going to be awesome. I know that uh, I was listening to uh, the Bearcat Journal podcast earlier this week, and they said they're very excited to get uh, Ivan Pace in shape. It's probably kind of like uh, the first year when we're going from he who shall not be named to fickle. And you saw pictures of those guys like coming out of uh, their, their season, kind of looking kind of dad bodish, And then they get Brady running on them for three months. And then all of a sudden you've got guys like uh, Hayden Moore, just straight up yoked. So it'll be interesting to see how Ivan shapes up uh, going into this year. That's the big market inefficiency in sports, in my opinion, is just finding super athletic fat guys. Um, and certainly I'm not calling Ivan Pace fat, but I'm just saying like you, if you are someone who is carrying extra weight and you're not in peak condition, <laughs> just simply making that change, getting in, getting fitter, getting lighter, getting more explosive can be a simple recipe for going from really good to elite. And so given that Ivan Pace is already known as one of the best defenders in college football and was dominating the Mac, if he does have upside in terms of getting into, you know, under Brady Collins tutelage and really getting yoked up stronger, faster, fitter, he does have the potential of, of being a bash brother with Deshaun because Deshaun, if there's one thing he is, it's extremely fit, extremely fast and flies around making plays all over the place. Um, I love the idea of pairing those two together in our, in our linebacker group. One year ago, probably to the day, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's close to one year. We talked about, you know, the, the, the game stops phenomenon, you know, to the moon, diamond hands, all that, all that jazz. What Coomer is saying here is like, this is the, the Bearcat bets forum where if you have these guys, right, a little bit of flab, good athleticism, just needs, you know, needs to get the monster factory, Treatment. Needs a little needs a little sculpting. A little sculpting. Needs a little sculpting. All right. We're gonna we're gonna buy low and we're selling high. All right. That's what this program's all about. This is Clifton style. Welcome, Ivan Pace. You're about to get cut. <laughs> <laughs> is that a is that a unit, Joe, that you have any you know trepidation about? Are you are you concerned about losing DeBlanco? Funny thing about DeBlanco, by the way, listed at 6'3, 240. He's a guy who actually looks smaller than that 6'3 frame. I don't look at Joel DeBlanco and think that's a huge man. I actually thought he played uh, he played fast and was sort of overcoming less elite athleticism, but I'm surprised to see he was 6'3". Pretty big guy. Yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely going to see a drop-off with Beavers. I think he's going to be an NFL draft guy. So, um, you know, the the linebacker unit was pretty good this year. Um, we, we all know the struggles against the run. 
Uh, I think pace will help with that, but um, I'm not super worried. You had uh, some other guys too, that were pretty highly rated in that room, like David Jones, Jr. He kind of completed that trio that was called the three amigos that came in together at linebacker. So if, if we're talking a position group that I'm not concerned about, it is probably linebacker is probably number one on that list. And you mentioned it, but Jaheim Thomas has the physicality to take it up a notch. We saw a couple flashes from him this season. Didn't get a ton of snaps, but when he was out there, physically extremely imposing, 6'4", 235, and there's already some videos online floating around of him getting into his off-season conditioning. So I really think he probably knows there's a huge opportunity for him to fill, fill a void, and you could see that, that that talent pedigree pay off for the Bearcats next season. 100% agreed. That's a, that's a hometown hero I'm excited to see this year. So let's kind of smoke through a few more of these, Joe. We've got Alec Pierce departing for the NFL. I actually thought naturally wide receiver was a position that had more stability built into it with Tyler Scott having a breakout season in 2021 with Trey Tucker still being as explosive as ever. I felt like those two in particular laid a foundation where I'm not overly concerned, but I do think Alec Pierce brought a specific skill set to that position that those two players don't necessarily have. They're both smaller, faster, more speedsters, more downfield threats. Pierce was that guy who Ritter could comfortably throw to in the red zone, jump ball opportunities, and he was going to go up and win these, win these jump balls. Now, that leads me to mentioning our next transfer, who recently announced that he would be joining the Bearcats from Hawaii, and that's Nick Mardner, who is a six foot six wide receiver. Do I have that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is an enormous human who, if you're looking for who's going to be the red zone threat, who's going to be the jump ball receiver, here comes Mardner. He may not have to jump up for those balls. He might just have to stretch his arms up and be ready to rock and roll. Yeah, what a, a freak, freak athleticism, freak uh, physicality. Yeah, he had almost 1,000 yards at Hawaii last year. Uh, only five touchdowns, but almost 20 yards a catch. I think he's going to be a great addition. I don't know that they were necessarily looking for a wide receiver in the portal, but when a guy like that comes available, uh, it's hard to pass up. I know that they were uh, pretty high on Jaden Thompson. He kind of filled in on that outside spot as well. Uh, he's 6'2". And then they have Drew Donnelly from Texas, who was a state uh, champion sprinter as well. So I think the wide receiver room definitely has a lot of talent. We're a long way away from the years of Joker Phillips. That's another group that I think we're in good shape. Joker Phillips is one of those names that I could just see Joe physically getting ill. You turn a, a different shade of green, you get a little more, uh, just a lot of discomfort on your face. Anytime we get into the historical days of, of, co of wide receiver coaches. Never again. I, I have less apprehension or trepidation about this group. I think that um, I love, I'm a huge fan of Tyler Scott and Trey Tucker in particular. I think that Trey Tucker is someone who could see a huge benefit from Gino taking over and finding more creative ways to get him involved on a game-to-game -game basis. To me, when you saw him in the Alabama game, he looked really small. He looked, he, he looked like he was in a completely different league uh, when you got Alabama out there, but he also was never put in a position to really make the type of plays that he's keen on, right? Like he did drop the touchdown pass 
but that's an over the top pass that I don't always think of Trey Tucker for. I think of him more getting him the ball in space, short passes, uh, creative either end arounds or sort of those, those pop passes. I think there's a lot of talent and speed in this locker room that will be more than apt or more than capable at producing the American athletic. Hell yeah. There we go. All right. So keeping it moving. Um, we got both of our tight ends back. Lenny Taylor, Josh Wiley returning here for another season under the Bearcats. That's a huge, huge plus for Gino Gadouli and whoever ends up being the starting quarterback as sort of a safety valve for them. Evan Brader. <laughs> for Evan Brader. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, lastly, in terms of who we should mention, um, I didn't mention my Jay Sanders and his departure. And I think maybe that is overlooked a bit and, and, and my bad on that because my Jay was the most prolific pass rusher we had on this team. He is one of the best um, pass rushers, I think, to come through Cincinnati in quite some time. It didn't always translate to sacks. Clearly, we, we hit, he hit way under in terms of sack totals on our preseason predictions. But when you look at the advanced metrics, when you look at his rushes uh, or pass rushes, he was someone who did stack up well against competition game in, game out. And he showed out very well against Alabama as well. How do you see us overcoming that loss? Because that is something that there doesn't seem to be a natural or obvious answer on the Bearcats roster right now. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't really see anybody break out of that position. And I'm going to kind of cop out here a little bit because I do expect the defense to revert back to the 4-3. So I think you may see some scheme changes that open things up a little bit. Um but I don't know that that guy's on the roster right now. I don't think you have a, a natural MyJ replacement. Um, I think you'll see a big year out of Malik Fan next year. Um, I know he got dinged up a lot this year. I was expecting him to have a bigger year, but um, he'll be back next year. That's a big uh, return. So um, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Bearcats go after somebody in the transfer portal after the spring if uh, they find somebody they like at like an edge rusher position. And uh, yeah, this one's, this one's a big loss, even though my J never un unblocked me on Twitter. Um, he's definitely going to be a big loss. He's probably going to be uh, a late first, early second round NFL draft pick. So uh, those guys are not easy to replace, especially at a program like Cincinnati that's working their way to being a top 10 program. They haven't been indoctrinated with it. Like the Alabamas and the Georgias. Well, it seems, it seems like we have a lot of, a lot of youth on, on the, on the backups from the defensive line. Do you not, you don't see it, think there's anybody in the, you know, that's, that's from a developmental standpoint that might be able to make a jump next year to obviously, like you said, it's like, it's like replacing sauce Gardner. It's, it's, it's almost a near impossible task. Same thing with my Jay Sanders. Is there a guy that you think that maybe takes that leap to maybe get to a Malik bond type, type of type of situation where, you know, where, you have another, you know, really good defensive lineman who's not necessarily a generational talent for us. Let me let me mention one guy here. We probably should make sure we mention him um, as, you know, the same situation where Sauce leaves and you've got this uh, prodigious sort of replacement coming in the freshman class with J.Q. Hardaway. My J. Sanders leaves and we have Mario Eugenio coming in. And he, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, he is the highest rated prospect to ever commit to Cincinnati. Do I have that right? Uh, on 24-7, I believe that is true. Okay, so on 24-7, the highest-rated prospect, 
six three defensive end, immensely talented. And I know it's it's tough sometimes to predict how a high school player is going to stack up on a defensive front coming in, but it's not completely unprecedented in college football. Um, so if he's someone who comes in ahead of schedule is, is kind of getting strong, getting his legs under him faster than expected. He's someone who I'm sure could end up playing a role. Correct. Yeah. I mean, he could definitely get some snaps uh, early on. Uh, I will tell you, I met him on the grid earlier this year and he is every bit of six, three, two He is a big boy. <laughs> well, that's what you want. I mean, that's that's exactly what we have to do on offensive and defensive lines is to scale up in size so that when we do have these uh, un, unprecedented once-in-a-lifetime type matchups against an Alabama in the college football playoff, we can go toe-to-toe with them in the future. So I do like that Luke Fickle and his staff have gone in on beef uh, for future recruiting classes because I do think we need to see that eventually pay off if we're going to stack up consistently against the blue blood programs in college football. Um, and I think hand in hand with that comes uh, Mike Cummings joining the staff. Like, I think it goes, you have to get the talent. You have to get the, the potential on the roster. You know, I look at some of these offensive linemen that are joining, you've got six, five and six, seven and defensive ends who are six, three, six, four. I mean, they are bringing in large young adult men into this program but now you have to develop them. And so defensively, we've seen it. We've seen players get better, get better, get fitter, get stronger. Um, Offensive wise are on the offensive line. There has been a need to see that develop more quickly and more impressively. And I think bringing in a a guy like Cummings, sir, that's the the sign there is that Luke fickle and Gino are recognizing that we need to get better there. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And uh, I was kind of looking through some statistics from this past year. And there's not even a lot of like counting statistics on these defensive ends. So uh, I think my J pretty much played my J and Juwan Briggs played a pretty big portion of those snaps. So we just it's another one of those unknowns kind of like cornerback. I mean, there's certainly opportunities for someone to break out but uh, I don't have that guy in mind just yet. Well, I had a a blast doing this, uh, working our way through sort of the big changes. I think if anything, to put a bow on it of sorts, it's a big transition year for the Bearcats. I think there's reasons to be optimistic. I think there's a lot of talent on the roster. A lot of it's unknown. We don't have enough evidence right now of guys on the field making plays, seeing how they develop. Uh, because of how special the guys who are departing were. They took up a lot of the snaps. They earned that right. They earned those, that time on the field. And because of that, there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of question marks heading into, into training camp and spring ball. Uh, but I do think it kind of makes it exciting. I think it's fun to follow up a year where you have this historic college football playoff run and we follow it up with, hey, now we get to rebuild it and do it again. How quickly can Luke Fickle do that? Yeah, and uh, I, I have to I have to correct you a little bit. We did miss one key position and uh, the departure of Brian Cook at safety, Ooh. and and that's that's a big loss. Uh, he had two picks this year, uh, five tackles for loss, a sack, um, and he man he laid the wood, didn't he? I mean, everyone remembers that hit in the Georgia game two years ago where he just absolutely smoked that dude. Um, 
So he's definitely going to be a big loss for us. And that's another position where we've got a lot of uh, young talent that's planning out, you know, that's not gotten a lot of opportunities. Um, I know one of the Dingles plays back there. Um, so we should definitely see some movement there, but that's a bit. I mean, that's that is please, a big please one. at some point. Let me say the dingles, the dingles. with the sack. <laughs> yeah, well, we've, we've got we've got two dingles. We double dingle we, them. We, we've got a double dingle in hand. It has Winklevoss vibes, right? Yeah. The dingle bros. But I think uh, Jaquan Shepard is a guy that you might see uh, finally get his shot at safety. Um, and then there was a couple uh, highly highly recruited freshmen, uh, Isaiah Cox and Amarion Smith as well. So there's definitely some talent there. Again, it's just a, they didn't get on the field because the guys in front of them were so great. Um, but, yeah, we've definitely got a lot of questions this year, and I think that makes things a little more exciting, um, especially on this future quest of 13-0. and 0 that me and Hummer are already early, way too early predicting for next season that, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of new great Bearcat names come out and a lot of new favorite players. And it's going to be awesome to watch. I can't wait. Look with, with, with Luke Fickle's past two teams, granted, we're talking about a lot of the same players here that are departing. What an eight finish, a four finish, like top 10 team. This is not yet, in my opinion, a top 10 program. We're on our way to being a top 10 program, but we are a top 25 program. And we play in the American Athletic Conference. I think it is 100% reasonable to expect that we have a good shot of not losing a game next year based off our schedule. I think that the players that we have, they've recruited good talent that is good enough to win in this league. So that is where I'm coming at when this, with this realistic, in my mind, 13-0 and season is taking all that into account that Luke Fickle has, in fact, built a top 25 program in terms of football at the University of Cincinnati. Let and me, if that is the case, then yes, we should expect that we're going to win this conference again. I have to push back a little bit, Hummer, because I feel like you are inadvertently cheapening our big, thick energy from last year. We had evidence and facts and a history with elite players and a coaching staff to support having big thick energy last year about saying, you know what? We're going to make legitimate predictions of going 13 and up. We're not going to lose a game this year. We're going to go to Notre Dame and win at their place. We're going to go to Indiana and win at their place. And of course there's nobody in the American athletic conference that can touch us. But when you do that again, this coming season and all you're really basing it on is literally We've got Luke Fickle, and he's going to figure out how to replace the starting quarterback and replace the starting All-American cornerback duo and replace Brian Cook and replace MyJ Sanders and replace this historically great Bearcats team. It feels like you're cheapening the accomplishment that this team actually had. So I disagree. I, I, I love that you're disagree. Like, do, does, does Ohio, does, seriously, do good teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, do they come in after a good season and just all of a sudden be like, you know what? 
you know what? No, next year we're going to be worse. No, they think, you know what? Because we have these coaches, because we have the staff, because we recruit the way we do, because we define these talents, that we're going to come in next year and be just as good. And I have that belief because Luke Fickle has proven from what we've seen on the field so far that he is a good coach and that he's capable of doing that. So, yeah, I do believe it. I don't think it's cheapening it. And when I do look at the schedule that we have, the, the non-conference schedule isn't that imposing. We have Arkansas, which is a good team. So that will be a test. If that's where we lose a game, I think that's where it is. But then you come to Kennesaw State, Miami, Ohio, and we know Indiana is, is not good. I think these are teams that can be beat and on a way to winning our conference. You're completely ignoring the fact that it's very difficult to go undefeated in any given season and that there were close calls against Tulsa and there were close calls against Navy. That's fine. And the fact that you're saying that we can literally overall the entire roster and just, nope, no big deal. We'll go undefeated again. No, it's cheap. I don't think it's cheapening it. It's sitting there. It's sitting there saying that's going back to like this. Oh, poor me. I'm a fan of UCLA. I'm sitting there saying, I think this team is still good. We have a lot of talent that is returning. And I think we're discounting the fact that we have a lot of talent returning. And I think we're discounting the fact that they have done such a great job recruiting that they can do it again. That's what you do when you're a top 10 program is you do it again. Every year you reload and you do it again. And I think this team is going to reload and do it again. We want to be a top 10 program. You're saying we are not a top 10 program right now. And I think we are top 25 and I I think we can retool and do it again. I love hating on Ohio state. I love making fun of Ohio state. I love the fact that they were the second best team in Ohio last year, but the reality is they do have a bigger history or a more substantial history of reloading and retooling with the best talent in the country. And we are trending in that direction. But we are not there. I'm also yet. basing it off our conference. Our conference isn't good. If we were playing in the Big Ten right now, I'm not gonna lie, I wouldn't have this. I wouldn't have this immaculate uh, idea, conception, if you would, of an idea that we're gonna go undefeated after last season. But we play in the American Athletic Conference, a conference that's to me isn't that terrifying. That we can do it because we do have Luke Fickle, and the way we've recruited, and the way they have proven they can recruit and develop players, gives me confidence that I'm not worried about who our starting quarterback is next year. Ben Bryant or Evan Prater, they're going to be good enough to win a lot of football games. We're going to have wide, re- we have wide receiver talent that we're still doing. Our offensive line is for the most part intact. Okay with that. Our offense, I think, isn't going to miss a beat. Defense might take a step back, but I think our offense is going to be just as good to put up more points than we did last year. Incredible. So we can lose the winningest quarterback in UC history, one of the winningest quarterbacks in the history of college football. We can lose Jerome Ford, the, arguably the most explosive running back we've ever had in our history. We can lose a top four round NFL wideout. We can, and then we can also revamp our entire defense. And your gut saying, you know what? We're still going undefeated because that's how easy it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not afraid of this conference. I'm not going to apologize for sitting here thinking like, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm afraid of the conference, this. but I'm saying, and I think our offense, our offense is going to be just as good. Do that. You're I think our offense is going to be just as good. I didn't think call me crazy. People are going to hate me for saying this. Des Ritter had his flaws. I don't, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't think Des oh, Ritter is good. Here NFL we go. Quarterback. Here we go. Here we go. Now it's turning into criticism of Des. No, okay. like it's, it's, I think it's bullshit to not, not be able to have that expectation to say, look, this team is going to be really good again next year. Look, we're, if we go 13 and other, I will promise you this, we will be nowhere near the conversation of college football playoff. It won't even be discussed. It won't be. There's just something that doesn't sit right with me when you hear Luke Fickle and college football coaches talk about how difficult it is to be perfect 
and to go undefeated and the, the amount of mental pressure that takes. We saw it on the team when they had that drought against Navy, Tulane, and Tulsa. Yet here you are saying the same exact thing you said last year, despite not having the same evidence or the same talent or the same proven, the same proven productivity on the field. I get it. There is a lot of talent. There's a lot of youth. There's there's high highly ranked recruiting classes, but there's not a lot of evidence for you to base some you know willy nilly thirteen and no prediction. And and to be honest with you, it just feels like you're dismissing how difficult it was and how monumental of an achievement it was for this past year's team to actually do that. I don't think it cheapens in any way, shape, or form. You're saying that this program has expectations, which is to be the best in college football every year. That's what we want. That is the expectation Luke has put on himself, and that's what we have put on him. If they lose a game, it's not going to be the end of the world. We're still going to win this conference, but at the same time, yeah, I'm coming in with an expectation that this team is capable of winning 13 games. They are capable of doing it. They have to execute. If they execute, it's going to be done. We have the talent to get it done. So I'm not worried about that. And I think Lou Fickle brings what Lou Fickle brings to the table and what, what they're building is capable of doing that year in and year out, sustained success. I'm not going to come back and say, oh, this year I'm predicting three losses just because it's no, I think this team is just as good. We can be a winner and win 13 games. And I don't think that's cheapening what they did last year. It's still going to be tough. It's still going to be hard. And if they do it, great. It's going to make it even more satisfying. And if they lose one game, okay, great. It's still a great football team. I don't think it cheapens last year's results. Hell yeah.